all they're looking for is information. They're not necessarily asking, what do you want to do? They might be asking, what should I do? Ask them to sit and look at you. One I use is, I'll just have the dog sit and then I'll go, oh, up here. Oh, Dr. Horowitz is going to contradict cat. me here. Not a bad cat. <laughs> well, because marking behavior is a normal behavior. Badly behaving pets have many of our listeners bedeviled, but behaviorist Dr. Deborah Horowitz doesn't judge these animals. She's there to interpret and help modify their behavior. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. And before we move on, I want to remind you that the biggest source of St. Louis Public Radio's funding comes from listeners like you. Because you value what you hear on St. Louis on the Air, donate today. Go to stlpr.org donate. That's stlpr.org donate. Dr. Deborah Horowitz is a veterinary behaviorist with Veterinary Behavior Consultations in St. Louis, and she joined us to help us make sense of all the animal behavior we're now witnessing as we work from home. Dr. Horowitz, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So a lot of people began spending a lot more time at home about seven months ago. Did that lead to an increase in questions for people like you? Definitely there were more questions. And some of them were about the behavior that their pet's doing, and some of them are about the perception of what it means, according to the owners. For example, now that we're home, many pets say, well, gee, this is a good time to get more attention. And so they're around their owners more. And many owners say, well, you know, I'm going to go for a walk three times a day. I haven't been exercising enough Um I'm going to go for a walk three times a day, and they take the dog for a walk three times a day, but the dog doesn't necessarily need to go for a walk three Mm -hmm. times a day. So the first thing that I would really suggest people do is try to look at it more objectively to see if the behavior you're seeing is just annoying or is it really problematic? Is it saying there's something wrong with your pet? Hmm. So maybe we're all just hypersensitive to all of this now that we're home and, and we're around these guys all the time? That's part of it, I think. And sometimes, especially for dogs, uh, often dogs come up to us because we're their source of information, right? They don't make decisions. We make decisions for them. When we're not home, they make decisions. And you'd be surprised to learn that when you're not home, most of the time, your pet sleeps. Most of the time. They may get up and move somewhere else. If they're a younger animal, they'll play with toys if you've provided them. Some dogs like to bark out the windows, but generally speaking, there's not a lot to do, so they don't do a lot. But now that you're home, especially if you've been taking them for frequent walks or you go, what do you want? What do you want? All they're looking for is information. Hmm. And sometimes that information can simply be, okay, go to your bed. And if you haven't taught a go to your bed command, that would be a good thing to do because... They're not necessarily asking, what do you want to do? They might be asking, what should I do? Hmm. And maybe the answer is, you should go rest quietly because I'm working now. Because they've rested quietly, especially if you have not come home from work, to destruction or elimination in the house or complaints from your neighbors that your dog is barking, then they've been okay when you've been gone. And now 
they're topsy-turvy. What are you doing here all the time? Normally, when you're gone, I get to sleep on the couch, even though when I'm home, I, you're home, I can't. <laughs> yeah, I can identify with, with how these pets are feeling. I feel like if someone was suddenly in my space all the time, I would probably pretend Correct. I was doing something all day. I can't just lounge around. Um, it's interesting right. how we and change the behavior by our very presence. That's right. And what, what if that person that was at your house all the time said, come on, let's go play. Let's go for a walk. Let's be outside. You, yep. know, you, want to, you want to chase the ball? The dog's going, no. I usually sleep. Now, younger dogs are going to say yes. In fact, I think almost all dogs say yes when you want them to go for a walk, even those that have arthritis. And my experience is I'm walking more in the neighborhood I live in because we're home more. And I see some dogs that I know are on their second or third walk, and they're old. They're like lagging, like, why are we doing this? <laughs> We don't need this much exercise. So maybe the expert opinion is these dogs don't need three walks a day. We're, we're giving them too much. It depends on, on how old they are and how much exercise they're used to in the past. Think about it from the human point of view. You decide, I'm going to walk three times a day, but you haven't walked at all. So you do that, and you're a little sore afterwards, but I'm going to push through. And a younger dog, any dog that's, that's healthy, and under the age of about seven, well, work up to it if you give them that opportunity. But you have to take the weather into account. Dogs don't sweat like we do. So when it's really hot, you have to be really careful. The only way they dissipate heat is through panting. So, of course, there are some dogs that when I had one dog that whenever we went for a walk without her, she would bark and bark and bark until we were out of sight, even though she lived to be 16 and at 14, she could barely walk to the stop sign. But, mm. you know, she, but after we were out of sight, she went, oh, good. I, I'm sure she went, oh, good. I don't really have to go and go <laughs> We're talking today to Dr. Deborah Horwitz. She's a veterinary behaviorist with Veterinary Behavior Consultations in St. Louis. And she is open to taking your calls. So we want to encourage you, if you have a question about pet behavior, you can give us a call. We're at 314-382-8255. That's 382 to talk. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Now, Dr. Horowitz, we did tell our listeners on our St. Louis on the Air Facebook page that we were going to have you coming on and to see if any of them had questions in advance. And we did hear from quite a few. Um, Amanda wrote to us on Facebook and she said, my shepherd husky mix has always had bad separation anxiety. So this time has been amazing for him. All our dogs quickly adapted to the new work at home schedule. And while it might be painful at first, I'm sure they will get used to us leaving the house regularly again. But I think the biggest change is that I've gotten used to having my dogs around while I work. When I'm feeling <laughs> overwhelmed or stressed, they give me a reason to go outside and take a moment during a hectic day. If I have to work in the office again, I worry I'll be more affected than them. Dr. Horowitz, do you see that, that people just get used to having that comfort that comes, those endorphins that you get from petting your pet? It has been shown that during this pandemic, number one, adoptions are way up. Mm -hmm. Adoptions of dogs and cats and puppies and kittens are way up because it's comforting to have animals around you. So I think she is right. It's comforting. But what I would suggest she does, both for herself and her dogs, is she starts taking some small departures from the house so the dogs get used to that she goes away and she comes back. And even if that means that, for example, let's say she was 
likes to walk in the park near her house, and she would normally take the dogs. Mm -hmm. She instead may go to the park. They don't need to know you went to the park without them. But (laughs) get in your car, drive away, go to the park, take a walk, come back home. And if it's only 20 minutes or a half hour, the dogs are getting used to her going out and coming back. And that's real important if your dogs do or do not have separation anxiety. Remember, change is only a good idea if it's your idea. And when it's time for you to go back to work, they're not going to be prepared unless you've done some things like leaving and coming back and maybe staying away a little bit longer uh, just so that they get used to being alone again. And then you'll get used to not cuddling them all the time, too. Mm -hmm. A little separation can be good for everybody. I want to go to the phone lines here. We've got a caller, um, and I do want to let people know our phone lines are open if you want to give us a call. That's 314-382-8255, 382-TALK. Dr. Deborah Horwitz is is here to answer your questions. Let's go to Kathy, who's calling from University City. Uh, Kathy, hi. You're on St. Louis on the Air. Thanks for taking my call. I have a question about our existing dog. His name is Duncan, and he is a very, very nervous dog. Mm. And we are thinking about adopting a second dog. We had a we had a black lab that lived for 16 years. We had to we had to put him to sleep earlier this year. I'm and, sorry. Um, we we kind of said Duncan, our nervous dog, doesn't know how to dog anymore. <laughs> and so we're one, I'm just wondering if you have any tips. We were thinking, uh, you know, an older dog might be better, but we met a puppy who is very confident and very calm. And our gut just seems to think this might be a good fit. So, but I'm just, I'm just curious your stance on that. A calm puppy. Well, Kathy, those are some great questions. I'm curious, Dr. Horwitz, what you think of the idea of a second dog coming into this home? And if so, what type? It's not unusual for a dog that lives with an older dog to allow the older dog to defer to all the decisions. It's time to go out. It's time to look out the window. We're going to bark at this. We're not going to bark at this. And so they're, they're left with some confusion when the older dog isn't there for them to model behavior after. There's no guarantee that the second dog that you get is going to fill that role. For example, a puppy might expect the, the dog that's already there to model behavior for them. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what you mean about your dog is nervous. Um, again, sometimes dogs are just looking for information. I think perhaps the first thing I would suggest that you do is work with your dog, Duncan, right? Work with Duncan to try to cue some behaviors that are relaxing behaviors. For example, ask him to sit and look at you. One I use is I'll just have the dog sit and then I'll go up here and have him look at my eyes for a few minutes. And then I'll say, good, a few seconds actually, say, good dog, give him a little food treat. So that, number one, looking at you can be a calming uh, behavior. And don't, you know, stare at him, but just a quick look. Or teach him, go to your bed and reward him for staying there for longer periods of time. Because what makes him seem nervous might be, again, asking for information. What should I do? If he's truly nervous, putting a new animal into his environment may or may not settle him down. It may seem like a threat because it's an animal he doesn't know. So I would work first with him to get him to uh, follow some cues that you teach him to do that give him direction, like taking him over to his rug or a bed and say, sit. And when he sits, say, good dog, get him off and take him back. 
so you can stand away and go, go to your rug. And then he lays down on his rug, good boy, and take him off and put him back so that he knows how to settle himself. And I think in the long run, that would be best for Duncan. But if that doesn't work, I talked to your veterinarian about whether he's truly pathologically nervous and needs some other intervention. Hmm. Um, thank you for that call, Kathy. That was a great question. Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, Patty is calling from Richmond Heights. Uh, Patty, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Thank you for taking my call. I certainly do appreciate it. I have a four-year-old tabby cat that every day at the same time it claws a chair. And it's what? the same chair no matter where the chair is in the house. The same time of day each day? same time of day each day and i have to tell you that's the only bad thing about this cat is it claws this chair well that seems like a pretty bad thing there uh patty that's a bad cat um but thank you for that question dr no, horowitz no no no, no. <laughs> oh dr it's horowitz is going to contradict cat. me here not a bad cat <laughs> well because marking behavior is a normal behavior for cats cats like to feel comfortable in the territory they live in and they do that by marking it they mark it with the cheek glands on their face. You know, when the cat rubs against things with the side of their face, that's called bunting. And they're leaving pheromones, little marks that say, ah, this is my place. That makes them feel comfortable. And when they claw, they leave both a visual mark, because they kind of burn it, and a scent mark from their paws. And that's a normal behavior that, that cats do. What we need to do for your little tabby cat is redirect that behavior to something else. Uh, hopefully she has a scratching post, and if she does, then the best thing to do would, number one, reevaluate the material on the scratching post. Can you actually give her something that approximates what this chair is? Some cats really like to rip and move the material, and if the material is um, sisal rope, she may not be able to get the kind of claw into it that she likes, hmm. so you may have to try what she likes. I would actually put the chair away for a while, and I would find the scratching post that she likes and put it in the place where she scratches. Scratching posts that are out of the way are like putting a billboard in your basement. So the cat, the scratching post, is a sign, is a message, and she wants everyone to see it. And if this chair is a tall back or something like that, she says, aha, nobody can miss this. I'm here. So that's what I would try. I, it's an objectionable behavior for us the humans, but it's a normal cat behavior. So let's redirect her. And there's something else you can purchase. It's called Fela Scratch, F-E-L-I-S-C-R-A-T-C-H. I believe you can get it at PetSmart. And this is a pheromone that directs the cat where to scratch. So put out a bunch of different scratching posts for her. Maybe you need to make one. I don't know her taste. And try the Fela Scratch. And I think we can redirect her to the right place. Okay, well, that feels very hopeful. Patty, thank you for that call. I hope that's helpful. Um, let's go back to the phone lines. Janice is calling from Chesterfield. Sounds like we've got another cat question here. Hi, Janice. Uh, what's your cat up to? My cat is a nine-year-old cat who wants to drink from the water faucet and not from her water bowl. That is weird. And once again, I'm judging the cat. Dr. Horowitz, uh, how am I wrong about this? <laughs> Many cats seem to like fresh water. Mm. It appears that some like flowing water, but in studies that have been done that looked at bowls that were changed frequently and uh, cat fountains, there, there didn't seem to really be a preference. Um, so one of the things I would recommend is number one, 
I think cats like to drink out of glass bowls because they don't retain a smell. The ones I use for my cats are very wide at the top because they don't like to get their whiskers wet when they, you know, go into the water. I change mine at least twice a day because one of my cats stands there and cries for it. And I understand I like my water fresh and cold. Sometimes I put ice in it for them. But I would certainly try a cat fountain. The most important thing about a cat fountain is that you do have to take it apart and change it because our water has other minerals and things in it that you know how sometimes if it's dripping, it marks your sink. And the same thing happens with a fountain. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would do is offer her a wide bowl that's changed frequently, a cat fountain. Um, I have one cat that likes to drink out of the running water, and, and I will turn it on for her maybe twice a day when I'm in the room. She will drink out of the bowl the rest of the time because I change them frequently. Mm, so maybe not the worst I, habit to drink out of a, a fountain. Well, uh, Janice, thank you for that question. We have so many cat questions here. It appears that cats are having some issues in this pandemic. We're talking to Dr. Deborah Horwitz, a veteri- veterinary behaviorist with Veterinary Behavior Consultations here in St. Louis. Um, and Amy tweets, OMG, why does my kitten pee in laundry baskets? Can we agree this is bad? behavior? Well, it's certainly an unwanted behavior. I try not to tell clients that their pet is bad. <laughs> I think that's fair. Yeah. There's a, reason, there's a reason they're doing it. It seems, it seems like a good idea to them. So it's an unwanted behavior. And it's, and it's different from, you know, it's just, we try not to tell our kids they're bad, but you're doing something that's unwanted. Mm-hmm. Anyways, get away from philosophy for a little while. Uh, first of all, I do want to tell your readers, the American College of Veterinary Behaviorists, which is the certifying body that has certified me, we've written a book called Decoding Your Cat, and it is available on all sorts of book websites, and it is soup to nuts and how to bring up your cat and answers many of the questions that you've put to me here today. Ah, great. Uh, a, and it's a wonderful book. I'm one of the co-editors. We wrote Decoding Your Dog a couple years ago, and it was really well received. So if you have a lot of cat questions I don't get to, go to your bookstore, go to Amazon.com and uh, or Barnes and Nobles, whatever you like, and look for Decoding Your Cat. Okay. Now, about this kitten that is going in the laundry basket. There, there could be a couple of reasons. Number one, sometimes we have tiny kittens and we have large litter boxes, and they they actually can't get in. Mm. If it's a covered litter box, they may find that objectionable because they have to jump in, you know, to this way up into the hole there, and then when they're inside, maybe they don't like it. Maybe it's too dark. So the first thing I would do is I would offer this kitten a relatively shallow-sided pan. If it's a kitten, I'm assuming it's under 12 weeks or so, and um, put some litter in it. But I would offer it next to it maybe some crumbled up newspaper, and maybe a rag. Kittens learn where to go in what to go on from their mother. So sometimes if a kitten was raised, I I can't say, but the kittens that are raised in a horse barn, for example, like to eliminate on wood chips. Other kittens raised in barns will like to eliminate on hay. So maybe this kitten either can't get in the litter box isn't finding the material that the cat thinks is appropriate mm. to go to the bathroom on. And so I would address those two things. 
Boy, that's and a, see if it helps. That's some great advice there. I think we have time for just one last call. And again, this is a cat call. Gene uh, is calling from Troy, Missouri. Gene, uh, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Yeah, hi. Um, I've got a cat, uh, a girl, um, Spade, uh, 12 years old. I've had her almost that whole time. I love her to pieces. But when she gets in a rowdy mood and kind of aggressive, <laughs> and I love to see her just chasing a ball and that kind of stuff, having fun. But she gets just downright aggressive sometimes. And walking through the room, she's jumping on my feet and my my ankles and scratching and biting the hell out of them. I mean, it hurts too. Ooh, you know that is and that I, is a problem, Gene. Um, any that, advice that for hurts. that? Yeah. Well, it, cats like things that move, so um, sometimes they really get the zoomies and they want to run around. And you would think they would play with some toys. I don't know what kind of toys she has, but if it, first of all, if it seems like a predictable time of day. Or she ambushes you at a certain place, like when you come down the stairs, she's waiting at the bottom. We can be a little preemptive and maybe have a wad of paper or two in your hand when you come down the stairs and and fling it in front of you. And she might chase that and start batting that around instead of you if she's looking for something moving. There also are some great toys that have feathers on the end. My One of my favorites is called the feline flyer. You sit still and you do it back and forth and the cat chases and jumps and and uh, really enjoys themselves. So I'm hoping that we just need to redirect this behavior to something that isn't as dangerous as this. Number one, she could make you trip. Number two, it hurts. And number three, that it could get infected. But I hopefully this is just a misdirected play behavior, uh, especially if it seems to be related to a certain time of day. The other thing that I will say happens, sometimes we forget that they can't feed themselves, mm. and some cats get really irritable when they're hungry. So if you're only feeding the cat once a day, you might want to think about splitting her meals into multiple meals. And if you notice that it always happens around between 5 and 7, have a meal plan for her at that time. Maybe she's a little bit hungry and doesn't plan out her kibble. That's a that's a great point. And, you know, hunger can lead to a lot of irritable behavior. So it's interesting how much of our behavior also translates to the animal world. And I want to yeah. thank uh, Dr. Deborah Horowitz for joining us today. Thank you. You've been so helpful with all of these calls. Um, it's been fun. And Dr. Horowitz is with Veterinary Behavior Consultations in St. Louis. And again, for all you cat people that we didn't get to, I know there's a lot. She recommends the book Decoding Your Cat. Um, So thank you, Dr. Horowitz. Um, And now from our mailbox, in the week since we aired our on-air tribute to Kim Massey, who died October 12th, we've continued to hear from folks sharing their memories. Listener Ginger writes that the final time she saw Kim Massey perform was in St. Genevieve. The place initially seemed empty, but before the night was over, it was packed, she wrote. I remember her saying that she would consider requests, and some jokester screamed out Led Zeppelin. We all chuckled with that, but Kim went to work and a few minutes later was singing Whole Lotta Love, which is not an easy song to sing. She belted it out to perfection, which resulted in a standing ovation. She didn't embarrass the jokester in the audience. She showed him what's up, and he was clapping and hollering, too. If that reminiscence makes you want to hear our tribute to Kim Massey, we recommend our podcast. You can find that on Apple Podcasts, NPR.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help new people discover our show. Thank you.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.